Hello, and welcome to Lockdown Film Festival Conversations. In today's episode, we discuss the 2009 film District 9, written by Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell, and directed by Neil Blomkamp. An alien race, forced to live in the slums outside Johannesburg, exposes a human to their biotechnology, creating a scramble for power and dangerous weaponry. Thank you for joining us, and here's the conversation. Week 24, it was Mr. Holland's choice of District 9, written by Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell, and directed by Neil Blomkamp. And I will now pass over to Ben to let us know uh, why he chose this film and to run the discussion as we go. Great. Thank you, Mr. Herbert. Um, I picked District 9 because I quite... Uh, it's, it's a movie that had a lot of uh, fanfare when it was first uh, released and it kind of passed me by at the time. Uh, and I'm a big fan of sci-fi that sort of turns, subverts some of, some of the more typical tropes. Um, I'd like to begin with a little quote from Roger Ebert's review, who says, District 9 uh, gives us aliens to remind us not everyone who comes in a spaceship need be angelic, octopod, or stainless steel, which is, I think, one of the more interesting things about the film. And I was wondering what everyone else thought. I like that they were kind of gross. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of what we can talk about in terms of commentary and refugees and immigrants and people that are other and things that are other. Um, but I think it was nice that they weren't, yeah, weren't portrayed as this sort of lovely race or very um, digestible or family friendly. Um, but does that mean we need to treat them any other? I liked, yeah, I like that they weren't cute. I suppose it's, it's not, it's, it's a physical conversation as well as maybe like a kind of ideological conversation, if that makes sense. So like what, you know, do, they don't look like a traditional alien that you may see in a, in a film, but also the way they behave is very different as well. Like, you know, they're very much kind of portrayed as these kind of scavenger beings who have no real concept of exactly how this planet works at all. Whereas a lot of times you see aliens come down and they either are incredibly advanced to the point where they just take over the world really quickly, or they're just completely the exact opposite and they have no concept of earth whatsoever. And this was a kind of weird blend between the middle in terms of they had some amazing technology to get them here, but then they didn't have a concept of how to live amongst humans in the slightest. Yeah, I think that that helped in this concept of other not necessarily being higher or lower than human beings in that they did have this technology that was different. It was just the fact that they were different made us or as human beings treat them badly even though that didn't mean that they were higher or lower than us. I think that helped. I, I thought it was interesting um, when, uh, what's his name? Because at first talks with Chris, Christopher Johnson and he realizes, he says, oh, this one's, this one's intellectual, this one's a bit more clever. I've got to try a different approach. And I wonder if like, cause they found the aliens in such a desolate way. Like they were malnourished and and in like a horrendous um, living situation. Then from then they took it that they were like lesser beings right off the bat. 
And then it was like a reveal that actually these might be more, I don't know, coherent, switched on than we first thought. And I guess they treat them as they found them almost. Like that shot of them, you know, the found footage kind of dark reveal of them is pretty horrendous. And I guess from there, they're like, well, they're inferior beings right off the bat. But I quite like the mystery of we don't know what put these aliens in that position. Like they could have been like a much more intelligent race or there was much more to it and from a from day dot the humans treated them as an inferior race because they found them in such a situation and then they had no to get back to a better way of life that's maybe another thing as well and the idea of the kind of non-absolutism of how the aliens were in terms of the fact that like you know their their spacecraft arrives in on you know within earth's atmosphere but they don't leave the spacecraft like nothing leaves it it just stays there like they don't you know, they're too, almost like they don't have the, the capability to know whether they can even survive on our planet or not. So they just stay there because they have no, they're just terrified of, it's the kind of thing that we imagine humans would do if we were in that position whereby we would be so scared to leave the spacecraft because we, know, we don't know what it would be like outside. We don't know whether we survive outside. And that's almost what they were like. So it kind of gave them a, like another level of grounding almost. Before we get too far into the social commentary of this film, um, can I bring a few potential plot holes that Max and Anna had to read me listing as I watched it? Um, and I, was, I did scour the internet and I tried to find other people with more sci-fi knowledge than me who could explain this, uh, but they don't exist because I'm the best. And there are plot holes in this film. Uh, one of them is, why did fuel mutate a human? That's not what it was for. It wasn't a bioweapon. It wasn't meant to do that. So why did it when eating corpses hadn't? I didn't get that. I also didn't get why they needed the fuel in the first place for 20 years when the little ship didn't even go up to the big ship. It ended up getting beamed up. Um, the fuel wasn't for the big ship. It was for the little ship. I don't understand why nobody just helicoptered them up there and they could fly away again. I'm open for anybody to explain this. My understanding of the fuel one was that I took it to be that they couldn't control the big ship until they had the fuel anyway. And it was the fact that when the, the, the sun was then controlling um, the big ship from the little ship. I think there was a connection there that that's what it was. That's the way I took it. I didn't think of it as a plot hole. It was just like, this was the fuel they didn't... had to then trigger it. But that the amount of fuel, they would like, they would, they'd taken 20 years to gather that amount of fuel. They didn't use all that amount of fuel in the little ship because it got beamed up. I can understand it if maybe you needed a little bit to kickstart it, to like make that connection. But then like they were trying paid. to... Yeah, but like, surely you don't need to spend 20 years because they've got enough to fly the ship up. Did and they didn't need up? it. I thought they flew it up. No, it got beamed up. He I tried to fly it. It got shot down and then it got beamed up. Ah. I, think, you know, I, I might be wrong, but I think the idea was that the clever mini alien was, was actually very clever than everyone else. The child. The child gave, was, yeah. was a lot cleverer than everyone gave it, uh, gave it clever. Um, Fuck words. Gave it credit for. And actually, the kid hacked into the mainframe and said, oh, I can actually, you know, watch um, a US office on UK Netflix. 
<laughs> Pretty much, and was able to were able to rewire it. Was my understanding? Yeah, it looked like I mean, extremes. But does uh, that again, explain Harry? why it? Oh. I can buy. I can buy into the fact that they needed to collect enough energy to be able to connect to the mothership. I feel like that's not the biggest plot hole for me, but I do see the plot hole where this energy somehow yeah. turned this guy into yeah. an alien. How did well it do that? I, that doesn't make sense. It, it's essentially... Seen... Sorry, Laura. No, just like he's he's got battery fluid on his face and that's turned him into a different species, like on a molecular level, has rewritten his DNA to the point that he's become an entirely different creature whilst not dying in the process. Like this is that, the most advanced bioweaponry couldn't do that. And then you've got, I'll come back to the fact that the Nigerians were like, oh fuck knows. But why them eating these arms and stuff wasn't doing anything like, like wasn't giving them the strength, wasn't giving them anything in a way that a bit of battery fluid on the, his face did. I didn't get that. I, I guess it's just more than battery fluid in that it's got to be, like, the, the only thing that I think of is when he piloted the ship originally, he puts his hand in some kind of weird goo and that sh surely they've got different kind of biology for like what can control their being, like, for like, Obviously, eating one might not work, but being exposed to their different laws of substance might. Like, but that's I never really didn't. Before. It really didn't think of it. I was like, oh, "That's an alien goo that's got him in the head. That will turn him into an alien." But yeah, I think, I, think, I think as well the fact that their technology is so different to ours mm. could it could just explain that, and uh, like in the fact that it doesn't have to be explained. Like it is. Yeah. The, what we what we expect in our technology doesn't necessarily have to mean it it translates to theirs I, as well. I just feel like the scene, and I did write this in my notes. This is the first film I've taken notes for. In the scene when they were first collecting the fluid and like they were going through the little Breaking Bad chemistry set to get their fluid, that whole scene was just exposition city like they not a single line in that scene wasn't exposition like, yes we need the fuel yes to pilot the little ship yes so we can go to our big ship and fly home yes so we can do the whole scene was exposition but at no point did they go careful no human touches this because that had turned them into one of us and we know that as established science in this world and they um, didn't well, I was going to say, we, we were talking about this earlier in terms of we came at it from a gender perspective, but in terms of how they reproduce and the child's eggs thing seemed to be a byproduct of like animal flesh versus electricity and whatever. Maybe they always procreate through this fuel or through these like other means. Maybe it's not yeah. a sexual reproduction in the way we have it. So. Mm -hmm. They didn't explain it very well, evidently, but maybe they always reproduce by this sort of byproduct of a fuel or a, a chemical substance, and they need that. But then surely flesh. that would maybe it's a, a flesh of something, yeah, a carrier. But surely that would lead us into 
more of like a, an alien situation where it like comes out of him rather than transforms him. Well, and baby, he is still... baby eggs weren't, were they? They were weird little flesh packages that popped like popcorn, supposedly. But like, there is again, like, if, <laughs> if they'd been growing on the flesh, surely they'd be like on him rather than transforming him. And he was still him because at the end when he was making the little flower for his wife, like he's still him. He's just now in a different... Or, like, I'm, I just think. I, sorry, but Max, you go. I was just gonna say I gave it a Google, and apparently, according to the District Nine Wikia that exists, um, <laughs> the fluid cool. is a liquid that seems to fuel everything that the, that the prawns use, like their weapons and ships. The fuel probably powers their everyday technology on their home planet. It also seems to contain prawn DNA, where the observed effects of coming into contact with wickers seem to ge initiate a genetic reaction, eventually resulting in its apparent transformation into a prawn. It seems one canister of fluid can power a whole ship for hyperspace. I just think I just think it's That's an it. alien it's an alien sci-fi film. And whilst you know everything you said, Lara, I'm sure is you know logical and accurate. I just don't think you know maybe the, the technical logic of the ins and outs of the various fuels that are required to power these mm. ships in this film. I mean, I think ultimately it's an alien sci-fi. Thing. I'm going to give it a lot of slack in the area of mechanical logic. Um, and for me, um, those, those plot holes didn't sort of come about as a problem for me, nor, nor indeed did I spot them. But maybe that's... I, maybe. I just certain, like, I vaguely heard of this film beforehand, but like never really heard much about it did google it before but didn't read the plot um and the way it was being talked about certainly like articles and everything where people were saying like this is completely like changed sci-fi films this is something we've never seen before this is such an amazing film all of this and to watch it at least to me and again like i couldn't pinpoint where it's come from but for me i was like this feels like something i've seen a million times where like human starts transforming into alien suddenly finds compassion for aliens like to me i was like i've seen this so what's new and then the world building because of those plot holes i was like you haven't explained this so either it's hard sci-fi where you don't explain anything and we just have to pick it up as we go along or it's soft sci-fi which it starts out as and you explain everything to it you can't you can't start soft sci-fi and then go now you just got to accept that this is what happens. Like if you've taken that much time to explain and put all that exposition in to then go off on mm. a deep end where it's like, we're not going to tell you how this happened though. That's, I don't think that's, I don't think that's quite true though. Cause I would argue that the first kind of 20 minutes were more explaining about human reaction to the alien craft mm -hmm. and the alien species rather than actually trying to explain anything about the aliens really themselves. And I understand your point, Laura, about this idea of like, you know, human transforming to alien. I get, I get that you've seen that before, but I think the argument's more about the way that human beings treated the aliens when mm. they came to Earth. That's what I think the argument's more about rather than, it's more about the overall argument of the film rather than the actual plot of the film. I think that's what, when they were saying, we haven't seen this kind of thing before. What, treat me like an idiot, what was the message of the film? How would we as how, how would we as a, the human race treat um, a 
an, ugly, an initially ugly species of extraterrestrials coming to, to Earth? And how does that interact with our own, um, our own ideas of kind of xenophobia, racism, our attitudes towards races and species um, in that regard? That's, that would be what I would initially say. I agree. I think it's very clear. You get very clear examples of when Vickers decides that he's going to have compassion. He's a man that worked as like a bureaucrat and he was the, he was the guy going around giving them eviction notices. And then he, all it takes is to experience an actual, like have an actual human connection yeah. with an alien. And he, he has, he says to him, you don't want to go to those new tents. They're like concentration camps. And then it's very obvious when he's in the robot suit, he makes a point to turn around and save Christopher Johnson. I think it's a very simple story of just of like a microcosm of if we just pay attention to each other a bit more, instead of like following the, the, what you're told to do, then we can have more harmony. I don't know. It's, it sounds silly. It's, it's, to me, it's such an overt message. Just, of just take be patient with people and try and understand everyone's circumstances a bit Just, just picking up on and leapfrogging about on the back of what you just said. One thing which I've seen the film before, one thing which struck me this time was just how quickly society turned against Vickers the moment they realised he was an alien or not human. All of a sudden he was being treated like, mm. you know, subspecies, you know, we wouldn't treat our own livestock in that regard. Um, yeah, does that answer the question, Laura? Well, it does potentially. Go on, Laura. I was just going to say to me, I, it, like, Harry, your message sounds lovely. Like, just treat <laughs> people with compassion. We can all go on. He didn't treat them with compassion until he was being treated like one of them. It was only when it started affecting him that he started. And I think I think that's the point, that's though. The point. Yeah, yeah. Like, the so. fact is, you don't, you can't sympathise with them until you have to experience what they have to experience, and that's what a lot of people in society have. That that's the same thing. They can't. They don't have any sympathy. Yeah. And like I thought, I thought it was really clearly cut. Like this is set in South Africa. This is set in a country that went through apartheid and still many people would go back to that like this is a country that hates othering and like people you know i i just yeah, thought I was, it's not aliens it's it's anything that is not the norm it's and i was going to touch on what, what nick was saying about the moment when when vickers gets like ostracized because he's you know slightly becoming one of the the prawns or whatever and like that's almost like a that's that's the film showing the metaphor of like mixed race children in south africa that like you know children like Trevor Noah talks about it a lot he had you know he's mixed race in South Africa and yet he's treated as if he's you know black he's like it's, it's that kind of thing like if you're in South Africa and during apartheid and doing all that kind of stuff you were either white or you weren't white there was no concept of any kind of like cultural integration or blending or anything like that and I think that's almost a, like another touch that, that 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 moment is doing where it's saying look how tiny little apart different from us he is and they're all just like, no, he's completely different from us. Mm. And especially when they try and spin it by it's like illicit activity, like illegal sexual encounter. Like they try and make it sound sinister and 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 well, illicit just because he's got that slightly. They can't. They won't just tell the truth. Like he was infected by something, and it's like we're going to make it even more separate because he's done something horrendous to to facilitate it, kind of thing. Yeah, and when he's, when he's in that takeaway shop and. 
the news comes on, says he's immediately infectious, and then you just see everyone mm. just run out yeah. of the shop and they try and shoot him. And just from that one news segment. Can I ask, Laura, did you find that you were having difficulties regarding plot holes, et cetera, et cetera, from the off or from, say, halfway? No. So actually, from the like, hour mark i really started enjoying it as soon as it got into like okay we've got to break into this facility and we've got to get the this and then we've got to escape but oh no we've been caught again oh no we've got to escape again oh no they've caught us again. all of that i was like sick i'm on board straightforward alien flick gotcha the first half for me when it started i genuinely thought it was trying to be funny a lot of the time and i was like oh it's like men in black and <laughs> then when it's and then, oh, so like I have a low tolerance for shit coming out of people's mouths and the first 40 minutes, throwing up, blood coming out, pulling teeth out, nails coming out, eggs coming out. I was like, why are you so obsessed with things coming out of people's mouths? So for the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, it's funny. Then realized, whoa, this isn't funny. This is gross. And like, didn't get why it was being so gross. Then I was like, okay, no, we're back into heist mode. I like this. This is fun. And then the big plot hole at the end, I was like, you've lost me. You've lost me. I was, I was actually the complete opposite. I, I really enjoyed the first half of the film, mm -hmm. um, particularly the, the mockumentary elements. I oh, thought that was really, really interesting. Like they were viewing it as like this historical documentary, <laughs> the integration of the aliens. And I love, I loved his performance when he was interacting with the aliens, mm -hmm. with the eviction notices, just being like, hello, little fellow, come over here. And all of, all of that, I just thought was amazing in contrast with these, these racist MNU South African henchmen mm -hmm. who were just like, we just want to shoot these fucking prawns. I thought, it was, I just thought it was so good. Um, and then the unraveling and the sort of the metamorphization of Vickers becoming this creature and how horrendous that must be, the dislocation between him and his wife. And then the moment, it, for me, the moment that it became this action, oh, let's get the magic liquid and we can fly off to space. <laughs> I, I, I thought it started to drag then, it lost my interest. Whereas I really enjoyed the first half where I thought it was more focused on relationships, politics, um, yeah, that's my take of it. Anyway. I would agree. I would agree, Nick. I was the same. So, not that I didn't enjoy elements of the kind of more action, shoot everyone within a fifty-mile radius bits. Because I thought some of the action was quite well designed, and I thought there was interesting moments in there. But I was far more invested in. For me, the film peaked in the kind of eviction thing because that just felt like such a brilliant representation of the way that governments fuck people over in every single point. Like you know, the way that the Christopher Johnson alien understood what was being asked of him and wouldn't sign the papers. So Vickers was like, well, I'm just going to, you've got litter in front of your shack. Mm. Therefore, this is unsafe. Therefore, I'm going to take your child. It felt like, you know, this really, obviously like, you know, it's extreme. It's maybe slightly ridiculous, but it was, a, I thought that was a really, that whole, it was probably like 20 minutes, 25 minutes long. I thought that was so brilliantly judged in a number oh. of different ways. And it, also, I think it was the best moment of giving you an understanding of the aliens' lives because you just see things happening in certain places and it wasn't too on the nose. Whereas I found the, I, I, I might get into it later, the whole mockumentary stuff, I found that a bit painful 
because that was very much like a lot of people who didn't have a clue what was going on were trying to talk about it. And so the few people that did know what was going on felt like it was just purely exposition, slightly what Laura was talking about. And so, yeah, that 20 minutes for me, I was could not have been more on board with that and then maybe went down a little bit as it went on. But they didn't keep up, did they? They didn't keep up the mockumentary or the... Yeah, why? That's what I was going to say. I was going to bring it up later. It really, really poor. It's annoying because, it, for me, it worked so well. Um, I don't think I've seen a film done like that where you have these kind of retrospective comments from these alien experts. I wish they... I wish that had been kept up because... Yeah. I don't know. For me, that was one of the more effective segments, and I would like to. See it was. It was a bit of a. I think it's a bit of a cardinal sin, moment. really. Is. I think Sorry. it's a real, real problem with the film for me, at least, because I. I think the reason that the, you lose the mockumentary stuff probably is because the final half is almost written to be more of an action film, and therefore a mockumentary of an action film is almost unfeasible to shoot. Like it just probably wouldn't really work. Sure. But like it was a really odd blend of mockumentaries, like people talking directly to the camera, being interviewed. And then like found footage stuff. So like CCTV cameras or like radio cameras that were just in rooms for no reason. And then just a purely normal style of shooting a film where there was just stuff happening and the characters had no idea there was a camera there and there's no reason for a camera to be there. And it made no sense for the camera to be there whatsoever. So yeah. that really, really let me down that it was, it felt really thoughtless because while I understand that mockumentary probably wouldn't work for the whole film, you either got to do it at the beginning and then maintain it or not do it. That's why. My, my thought was, and I did write this down in my notes as well, was why did the mockumentary cameraman manage to follow him on the run? Because there were a few mockumentary cam handheld, handheld camera shots after he'd escaped the facility and he was on the run. Mm. I was like, how the fuck is that cameraman still with him? And two, why do we never see the cameraman when we then switch to cinematic shots? Because surely if you're saying, yep, he's still being filmed on the run, even with the cameraman, then make the cameraman someone, not just dis completely disappear. Like, it, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I don't watch mockumentary TV shows. I don't understand how The Office is filmed and whether you ever see a cameraman or whatever. But they made a big effort of him like knocking the camera down when he didn't want something to be seen. And that, um, I think that continued even when he was in the like diner or something. And I was like, well, then the cameraman's there. So show him or don't. Or I think it's, it's, it's always a slight problem with mockumentary, I feel. Like even something that does it quite well, like The Office, whether it's the UK one or the US one or Parks and Rec, like even if they achieve it very well, there's still a level of like, well, would they really be there right now? Yeah. Like, would they really be there at this moment? And when you're watching a TV show that's like over a hundred episodes or something, you're kind of willing to just go with it because that's the format of the show, right? And so for this, I feel like it might not have fully worked, but if almost like you got the sense of that maybe Vickers had employed two or three people to follow him because he just got this promotion and he was really excited and they were their purely jobs was to follow him, then you could have maybe excuse some of the stuff later on where there's someone running around with him constantly when he's on the run and all this kind of stuff but there was no concept of why they were being filmed in this mockumentary idea because if they were being filmed the people who were being interviewed afterwards that's sort of understandable but why were they being filmed when it happened because you know well, there's just not a lot of reasoning or anything for it to work 
I don't know. I, I didn't find that so jarring. I think that itself, they were being filmed because they thought this was going to be this monumental thing for the human race. They were going to move these people out. It was the right thing to be doing. I think that it, the fact that they wanted to be filmed doing this enforced the fact that they thought it was so right what they were doing. And then in terms of the whole scope of the film, starting the film with smart documentary style, I was brought, I, I didn't really know what to expect at all. I knew it was some kind of sci-fi thing, but going into it with this mockumentary style, finding it very funny. I love mockumentary style things, but then it can, like by the end of it, you saw the deterioration of this character who you, at the beginning of the film, you thought was just this, you know, funny guy, wasn't really going to be that consequential. And then you see that his deterioration through it. I didn't find that transition from mockumentary to non-mockumentary that jarring. I thought it contributed to the feel of the film for me. I think that's fair enough, but do you not think it just breaks too many rules? But but I don't I don't find moving between genres. I don't think that's breaking rules. I think if it works with the film and what you're trying to get across, then it's making something interesting and and you know, contradiction, contradicting what you're expecting when you're watching the film, which for this kind of thing where it's making such big social commentary can really help to get you on board or like subvert the way that you expect to think. Um, I don't want to keep drumming on about the, the, the style, but for me, I found a very clear point when it was like, oh, this isn't a mockumentary anymore. And correct me if I'm wrong, because Lara already said that there's a handheld camera later on, but I don't feel like that's a choice that that's, this is the mockumentary. I feel like they just used handheld cameras for part of the action sequences. But almost when he, like, he's, bit, he's had the shit in his face and then the continuing bit after that, and he's, like, knocking the camera out. For me, that night when he pulls up at his house before the surprise party, I instantly thought, oh, this isn't a mockumentary anymore. Like, that was, for me, was, like, obviously there's not going to be access to this. He has the conversation with his father-in-law where his father was like, don't fuck this up. I was like, there are no, the mockumentary has stopped. And so, and that was really clear for me. So I never thought, are they still trying to do a mockumentary? Cause I was like, clearly that's over. I think I would completely agree with you, Harry, if I found that point. I think if it was more definitive for me, I think I would have been happier with it. Yeah, I don't think, I think, they, I don't think they meant to, it wasn't like they made that point. For me personally, I was like, as he pulled up outside his house and he's already very unwell, I was like, oh, there's no cameras following here. The film has changed and now we're watching a, a normal film. It's not a mockumentary. But yes, perhaps they could have made it. Maybe if one slap with a camera down, then that's like a way more of a, a sign that this isn't the mockumentary. But then they, they return to it at the final point as well. Like when they, they, you've had the action sequences, you've had all of that, and then it switches back to found footage and everyone going, this is the last time Vickers was ever seen. And then you get talking heads again. So yeah, they end I, on a documentary. I feel like though that documentary, you cut out everything in between that point and that documentary has just carried on from the last point we picked it up almost. Like we're not meant to assume that all the stuff with Vickers is part of the documentary. We, as the, as the viewer, get Vickers' story, but that documentary... It, can understand what I'm saying. I think yeah. all the stuff right at the end, you could immediately put on where that point I mentioned at the beginning, and that's the documentary. Whereas mm -hmm. we've had the insight into the real story. 
I, I think that's not unfair, Harry. I think the point that Lara, the point that Lara was talking about earlier, I think, is the one of the biggest problems with it is that the fact that, like, if you're going to go from mockumentary to normal film, you can't afford to get close to that line in between. So using handheld camera very close to him and like people's kind of camera look like behind bushes or behind fences or like as if they're spying on him gives the 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 guise of mockumentary filmmaking. And so while it probably wasn't designed to be mockumentary, it ended up looking like that, at least to me. And so therefore, if you're going to stop, if you're going to completely switch style halfway through or a third of the way through a film and then go back to it, I think it needs to be more clear. It needs to be more separate than it ended up being. They blurred the lines too much in the middle to yeah, the point uh, where like... Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I did this kind of scrappy not necessarily low budget, but seemingly low budget film. I don't know how you shoot some of the action sequences without the handheld option. It feels like they made a creative choice. Like we know we've employed handheld, it's a mockumentary, but also we're going to get some cool shots with a handheld camera. But I, I definitely take your point. You have, if you're going to try both, you can't really blur the lines. Well, and I, and I think you're right as well in terms of that, because it's low budget. I don't know if other people would say this, but I personally thought that the CGI in this, when it was close up, was unbelievable. Yeah. And when it was a bit further away, it wasn't as good. So I think maybe that's a problem yeah. that it ended up with, whereby like they felt like they needed to have closer up shots of the aliens to really display how they looked and how good the CGI was to make them look like they were there. But then that maybe then breaks a slight rule in terms of what they've set out of how to make the film. Because mm. when you had scenes of them kind of like, ones that weren't, you know, CCTV or anything, but ones that were then like jumping around the trash heaps and stuff like that, they looked a bit dodgy. Whereas yeah. when they were there talking to each other in a kind of two shot, they looked, I thought, pretty realistic. Mm -hmm. Realistic. I mean, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? And spinning off the back of that, I thought the interaction between Chateau Copley and the aliens was amazing. Like some of the best kind of creature interaction I've seen on film, like way better than like fucking Daenerys with the dragons in Game of Thrones, which is one of the biggest budget things. Like I was fully believed that he was having these conversations. I think this is, but I don't, Max or Gus might know if there's any mocap going on here. If it's like, I don't there's, know what, if yeah. it is mocap, but I thought that really, they did a really, mm. something seemingly very unhuman. I fully yeah, believe it in interaction. What is this? So it wasn't mocap. They had someone uh, in like the the grey suits with the like dots on their faces. What is mocap? Well, they were motion capture. Motion capture. Uh, so what, what what like Andy Serkis would do for Golden, where he's on set performing it, and then the motions and voice are then in post are made to look like a another creature or anything like that. So this yeah. was or wasn't mocap. Well, definitely Christopher Johnson. So the main alien that we dealt with. I feel so ridiculous saying his uh, full first name, second name for an alien. But um, <laughs> that, that, that was definitely mocap. I don't know, because the actor who mo did the most is also in it as well. Yeah. Did any uh, Lord of the Rings nerds thought, think this might be mocap because Jed Brophy is one of the original interviewed people? <laughs> No. 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 <laughs> I recognise him instantly. He's like one of the most famous mocap guys. So just saying. Oh, of course, yes, Peter Jackson. That's the link there. Yeah. So as soon as he popped up, I was like, mocap. Yeah. What, what I'd say, Harry, are you touching on the kind of um, the relationship or the acting between a human being and an alien? 
I was astonished at how good Chateau Copley was in this. Yeah. We've had some films in this film festival where we've had basically first-time actors be pretty horrendous. And Wait, this is, is, he, is he mustache? Yeah, he's, he's vicious, yeah. And I, That's I, I the main thought, guy. Yeah. And I thought, considering like he wasn't even an actor, he was Neil Blanc, from what I could read, he was Neil Blancamp's friend who was in the short film and then got cast in the main film was basically his first ever acting gig. Never intended to be an actor at all. That was pretty sensational, was considering, yeah, considering the amount of um, work he'd done before. Well, I thought it was fantastic, actually, regardless of the amount of work he'd done before, mm. but even more fantastic based on, based on that. The emotional deterioration was so good. Like, uh, like, and you, uh, yeah, simple as that. He was brilliant, but I really believed the emotional journey of it. And he wasn't, it wasn't like a steady, I'm becoming a better person. Like, it was a bit to and fro in that in like a really believable way so yeah i think i read as well that him and uh christopher johnson the actor playing him they ad-libbed most of their lines there was very little script it was like f from point a to point b easy for the alien wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) i thought at one point i was really kind of clever and thought oh how brilliant is this like you know a lot of this story is potentially an allegory for apartheid and don't, don't the aliens sound like they're speaking Kosa and all this kind of stuff with all the clicks in their voice and then, and then I read that they just made the sound by scraping something on a pumpkin and I was like oh never mind then <laughs> maybe, maybe it was but then uh, you know I thought I was I thought that, oh isn't that such brilliant work that they've actually like made an African language into an alien language isn't that fantastic and then like, oh, maybe not then pumpkins <laughs> <laughs> There was a moment where he was like, can you, like, something they about the clicks? They understand each other, don't they? No, yeah. but he said something, like, something about the, the three clicks. years. When he said, I'll be back in three years, and he's like, sorry, I, I didn't, the clicks there. Yeah. It, it sounded like you said three years. So maybe it was more purposeful than... Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, none of this information that I've read came from the director himself, so, or the writers, <laughs> so... Route. Just some film nerds. Could we touch on um, just because we know it's set in South Africa and we know that it's this, you know, allegory for apartheid and all the rest of it? Can we touch on the diversity of casting and the inclusion of the criminals being Nigerians? and that decision. A choice. Sorry? A choice, considering we're talking about aliens and we know it's all fanciful and we know it's all alternate reality. Why name one nation? Yeah. Yeah. One people. It felt felt like that kind of... Sorry. I was just gonna say, it felt like, I wouldn't say it massively bothered me necessarily, but I thought it was a really odd thing of like, it seemed to be a kind of very socially aware film and idea to start off with. And then it seemed to almost be like blinkering itself to the actual problems of South Africa by making the underground network from another country. I didn't see why that really, considering, considering like, yeah. you know, the MNU M- M- or whatever they were called, the, the big company were trying to get all the weapons, but then also this underground criminal network were also trying to get the weapons. I didn't see why they couldn't both be South African. I didn't see why mm. one had to be South African and one had to be Nigerian. It didn't really make, because it, essentially they didn't really have any affiliation to Nigeria at all. They were just out for themselves. So there was mm. no need for them to be from another nation. 
they were trying at least when they first introduced them and this was just something that as soon as they started being like oh and this is the nigerian group everything that followed was like a okay because they were like yeah this is the nigerian group not only are they like criminals who have broken into district nine when they shouldn't be there they're also like completely heartless towards the aliens like selling food at massive prices they're also like having inter um creature sex like prostituting aliens they're also shooting people they're also it was like the list just kept going up and that means they're awful people and it was like I don't understand why you've chosen to, to really double down on the fact that this group of really awful criminal people are Nigerians. Don't forget that. In fact, we're going to say it every time we refer to this group. And that, for me, in this situation, felt a little bit weird okay. to be so like, you just need to understand people. And I then agree. to be like, it's, just to add to your list, Laura, as well, as in, they had the warlord who wanted to eat the arm. Yeah, um, and they brought like... The idea of like African... Religion know, and magic. All this, you know, all the, you know, all the dodgy ideas that can be mm. kind of accumulated there. Um, yeah, I think it was an odd choice, really. Um, especially in my mind that it didn't add anything else. You could have lifted that from like a hundred different movies and it was mm. like very samey and, and didn't didn't do anything exciting, even yeah. slightly abusing that, that stereotype. I think, I think like having another group that might have had an interest in the, this guy who was half alien, half human, added something to it. I think that added something to it, but the way that they framed it wasn't mm. okay, I thought. Yeah, I completely, was it, was it Gus who's now left? <laughs> said, um, yeah, it was odd given how socially aware it was mm. that they would choose to just be like, yes, and there's a Nigerian group who are very dodgy indeed. You know? Yeah, it was like, it did feel very. But know, they're not black South Africans because this film is mm. about, you know, the oppression of black South Africans, but we'll make them from another African yeah, country. Yeah, dodgy warlords from down the road kind of vibe, like, interesting choice, very yeah. weird. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah. Is that just. I mean, is there a theory as to why, you know, this is defensible? I mean, all, all I can maybe think of is this idea that, like, I mean, I was watching, and I would, I touched on Trevor Noah earlier, but I would recommend you watch this fantastic documentary on Trevor Noah, which well, it was on Netflix, I don't know if it's still on Netflix. But it's about him basically doing the first kind of, like, concert comedy gig in South Africa, like, ever. Or, like, the first black man to ever do it because of apartheid, because of the way that South Africa has been for its, you know, a lot of its history. And one of the things that's really touched on there is this idea of like black Af South African comedians talking about uh, like what joking slash talking about apartheid in their sets a lot. And lots of the white comedians who are really resentful of these black comedians keep saying basically the same phrase of why do they keep talking about apartheid? Apartheid finished ages ago. Right. And so and obviously like, yes, the literal apartheid finished ages ago, but the legacy of apartheid will be felt for, you know, so long. It's almost impossible to understand. And so is it potentially the, this kind of thing that, that they fall into with this film, whereby like they're doing a film about apartheid, but they've not quite addressed apartheid in other parts of the films because their brain's not told them to do so because 
we're doing an allegory for something that finished in the 1990s and, and we're 15 years away from we're 15 years departed from that now so they haven't thought necessarily about the South African tensions of 2009 as much as they thought about them for 1994 or 5 I can't remember exactly when apartheid finished yeah. And that's why the Nigerians take this place in the film because they're not aware of the problem South Africa has as much today as in when they made it as they did 15, 20 years before. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, good point. Just... Can I ask very quickly, um, Ben, um, bearing in mind that you chose this, the, this movie this week, curious to get, get your thoughts on kind of the first three points, including Gus's just now. Um, the first being the, the docu, documentary stuff and the mixing of different storytelling angles. Um, the second being the Nigerian stereotypes and then Gus's point just now. And just keen if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, the, the, the documentary element didn't distract me in the slightest, really. I think if, if they wanted to make it flat out documentary all the way through, or if they strive to do that, it would be a very, very different film. Um, we would have that wide-angle lens uh, conceptually through the whole thing. We'd be talking about the geopolitical and social implications, whereas clearly what Neil Blomkamp wanted to achieve is he wanted to give us that that picture of of the of the landscape, the context of what this all means. And I think the the documentary style at the beginning landed that fantastically, before then zeroing in on a more personal. Uh, human slash prawn narrative um and yeah all the all the shaky cam stuff i I found it didn't make me think oh god is this still a documentary it it was more a case of it really hammered home the the viscerality of the world um i also want to mention as well the 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 improvisational element of the uh of the dialogue and stuff you see that was really surprising to to read that because from my perspective, perhaps the weakest thing about this film is the script. I was similarly surprised to hear that this was nominated for an Oscar in the screenplay category. Because I think the, although the world building and the plot and everything I find really, really compelling, the script I found to be the most cliched kind of C-list action movie schlock. Like the, the, there's the one scene where the, uh, where the cartoonishly villainous mercenary is like, has got um, Christopher Johnson on the ground, he's got the gun in it, so it's like, I'm going to enjoy what I'm going to do to you, you know, you think, oh, God, you know, this is just, <laughs> it's just appalling. But anyway, yes, and I also think, I, I agree agree with everyone, and I think that the uh, the dealings of various social groups and and race is, um, is, inherently problematic i mean it's i take it one step further really and i think through a 2020 lens i think there's a lot of think pieces that can be written about the core premise the core allegory of our movie is about these hideous horrible creatures who nobody likes landing on our planet and how we treat them and and the hideous horrible creatures are actually about uh are, are, are an allegory for zimbabwean refugees or, or whatever like that's i think at its heart there's there's something of it troubling about that I, I, I don't really have a solution in terms of how better to deal with it because I think that the, the, the core narrative is is really interesting stuff um, but yes 
This is an interesting point you touch on, Ben, this idea of these horrible, horrific, no one would look at, no one would be near idea. Like, I completely understand your point. Like, it's a very dangerous, maybe, way to go. But then is there another argument that it's kind of the only way to go? Because we all like to think of ourselves as ideologically correct. And I'm not saying us, I'm saying, like, everyone. So, therefore, like, if you watch this film and the aliens are all kind of, like, you know, soft and cuddly and cute then you'd immediately go, well, why would I ever be scared of them? What's the problem with them? And obviously that's not the way the real world works, but that's the way we tell ourselves that we would think. And so therefore they, these aliens kind of have to be, in quotation marks, disgusting for human beings as a group watching it or, you know, in it to behave the way they do. So I'm not saying that it's the correct thing to do, but if they didn't do that, would, it, would the message even get through at all? I, yeah. I agree. I agree with Gus in the sense that you're basically being given, you know, the racist lens potentially of the white South African back in the day, or indeed now into these townships in Johannesburg. Um, and I actually, I read that it's filmed in actual townships. They haven't just built them up and then they've. I don't know how that's gone about being filmed, but apparently the opening documentary. Um, heavy scenes at the start that they're all actual houses in which you know very poor um, South Africans live um, which I think is a nice touch that well yeah I think I read the, 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 the uh, yeah they the place where they filmed was actually a place where black South Africans lived and then were moved like they were in yeah. film they were right. moved to another area and that's why that place was then empty for them to film in right. I think I read something along those lines so it was even more, like, you know, I wrote down quite early and I said, you know, without being horrible about it, it was very fortunate for the, this, these filmmakers that they didn't have to build all these massive sets, you know. Unfortunately, they could just walk not too far and, and, and get access to them. And obviously that, ends, that allows it an, an element of um, credibility or credence to what you're watching. But it was kind of shocking when you thought about it. Like, you know, when you, what you're looking at is very tough to watch all these houses kind of almost built on top of each other and yet you, you look at it and you go i know that's real completely real it's not been enhanced or made by cgi and that was quite a tough moment yeah i think as well with this kind of thing it's similar to the question that we had a week or two ago in terms of why animation isn't something that's so um or thought of so highly in terms of filmmaking um, and how you can take something like a real issue and make it a bit more abstract and it can be a bit more forceful because with these kinds of things especially you see it on the news every day and you can become quite desensitized to, towards it and when you take it and make it something a bit different um, and portray it in this kind of way where it's an alien thing or, or something animated it can hit you or, or speak to you in a way that you wouldn't see usually because you see these kinds of things on the news all the time and so maybe it's a, a better way of getting through to the to human beings um who aren't maybe so conscious of these issues usually um is putting it just in a different perspective i, I, I agree really, obviously the biggest danger is the idea of someone who is so unaware that they don't even realize it's an allegory or a representation of something else but no I, this is a completely fair point i was just being a dickhead devil's advocate no i know 100 percent, and i think that's always the case with these kinds of things that it can completely speak to people in 
completely opposite ways and it, that's always a danger when it comes to art or making art you can th do something that you think is is so you know really speaks to someone but it can speak to people in so many different ways and that's why art is so great because you can interpret interpret how you want but that can go completely different ways to how the artist wants it to get to you i hope we can finish every uh, every film club on the point art is great <laughs> <laughs> it's very wholesome <laughs> I think I agree with um, your point, Ben, regarding the script. I think there was, there was one moment which struck me when I think he's about to have surgery and all the kind of the evil bigwigs from the various corporations have stood around him and they're kind of listing all of the profiting ways they can. It's like, this guy's the greatest asset there's ever been in all of Alien, you know, and they were, I think that was a bit heavy-handed in how that was written. I think that was kind of obvious, you know? Like, I think they could have given us a little bit more credit there. Um, but one, one part of the script that I thought was, I don't, I don't, I doubt this was improvised, but it was the, the bit where he was trying to get Christopher out and evict him, rather. And Christopher goes, oh, in his language, says something on the lines of, oh, you know, you need to give me 24 hours notice. And then they quickly come up with another way in which they can evict him, you know, really hammering home the point that the system is kind of fucking over the oppressed here in all these different bureaucratic ways. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was worth flagging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think as well, um, it, it's something we've, we've kind of circled as well is I think Vickers is, is a character protagonist that really helps to make this, this movie feel as fresh as it does because I feel like nearly any other uh, director would have uh, give that role to a total action hero who we're told at the beginning is some nerdy bureaucrat but has a square jaw and is the most attractive person in the whole movie has rippling biceps and meets <laughs> with a steely grizzly gravelly voiced result the fact that it was this fairly pathetic kind of bottom feeder in an office space I think made the film really sing. I completely agree, Ben, because he's almost the first face you see. I'm not quite remember. I feel like he's the first kind of interview that you get. And so when it kind of dawned on me that that was the guy that we were going to follow through this film, I was like, really? This guy? He just yeah. seems like a bit of a daft idiot who's trying to do a job, at, you know, do his office job as best he can, but is not really cut out for anything. So I think you're right. Like, but again, like, Again, if you cast the right actor for that, it works. Because if you cast, you know, Tom Cruise to play that part, you would know immediately when you first saw him on screen that it was <laughs> he's going to be the guy we're following. So it, it, it lends itself to the idea of this. I, I don't know if underdog is the right the right phrase for it, but a man who's completely out of his depth, and, you know, fish out of water kind of story, is the right casting for that right character, definitely. Mm. Yes. There's something about him being an average Joe going on that journey as well. Like, if the very average of blokes can have this realization, then everyone can, kind of thing. Yeah. I also thought, I'm just leaping in. Um, I also thought, in terms of the casting, like, and in terms of the performance, it's, it's rare that you see a movie that you're like, okay, this is definitely an action movie now. There's definitely going to be some kind of, you know, lovely redemption for this, clearly, like, bit of a dick character but I don't know whether it was partly due to the casting but I genuinely didn't 
I wasn't sure that he was going to have his lovely redemption. I love the aliens moment. I until he actually did, and I thought yes. that was nice. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry I'm late, <laughs> but me neither. Uh, I was convinced that he was going to leave Christopher the alien for death. Christopher. And I was like, fuck you, Minkus, Winkus, whatever your name is. I was, I was pissed <laughs> off. My name is Vickers. Real, but Vickers. 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 Fucking prawns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that was one of the, I think Laura touched on it a little bit. This, the, the, um, or someone did the idea of the way this character behaves. The moment where they've, you know, they've gone to MNU and they've got this fuel and they get back to the little shack and they're going down and then the, and then Christopher Johnson says, oh, it's going to take me three years. And then Wickash just kind of like beats him up and just assumes that he can just do the whole thing by himself. Hmm. I was like, you've got to be really off your... I understand that he's going through it a lot. Like it's an emotional fight. journey to be on. You're yeah. turning into an alien. <laughs> da, da, da. But how could he possibly think you would get anywhere without... And what yet? Need. Like it was just such a such a ridiculous thing for this character what to do. That he it really, it really lost me. I agree. He just left him for dead. It's like, oh, now all of a sudden you're going to fly this shit that you've never flown for by yourself. You're going to transform yourself back into a human. How's this yeah. going to work? He was in a state of desperation. I fully believe it. He, he was blind <laughs> panic. He's been saying, I understand that. I understand this blind panic that he can't. He's not quite thinking straight. But this is beyond that. Surely this is beyond that in terms of what you would I do. I know when you, you get would, to that you point, wouldn't, you wouldn't knock out the only person who has offered to guarantee you to get back to normal. What about, as Alex referred to, him, Mini Alien was down there? Don't forget. <laughs> Ah, mini alien. No, I, I guess I completely see where you come from, but I didn't. It didn't flag me literally because Garfield's no, performance was so good. Being like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Three years, I fully believe. Like, yeah, he's just going to try and do everything he can to. Yeah. To... No, and, and as I said, like it didn't. It could have lost me, but didn't lose me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a moment where I didn't enjoy the film as much yeah. as I was. I would have given. I would have been really pissed off there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it always does his redemption, doesn't it? Can I, can I just, I don't know if this has been talked about yet, but can I raise a point that I thought that some of the action at some point maybe actually verbally laugh out loud when I knew it wouldn't. <laughs> like when he launched, someone launched a pig at someone. And you're fucking throwing a pig at someone's face. And like the zaps and it just explodes someone's head. Come on. <laughs> Mars oh, attacks, like the, just the exploding heads everywhere. Yeah. It's completely it was but I think, but I think the thing is, it was actually really clever because I understand. Like, I get the idea. Like, it it does feel slightly ridiculous, but I think it was one of those touches where they were trying to make this kind of alien weaponry do things that we wouldn't expect because we don't yeah, know what it pig. can do. The yeah, pig. no, okay. The, the pig one, I was like, why is there a pig flying through the air? I didn't mind but exploding stuff because there's an element to which we've designed our weaponry throughout the whole of our history to like make holes in people. That's what we do. We make holes in people and that's how we kill them. Whereas aliens maybe wouldn't do it that way. They'd find a different yeah. way to incapacitate someone. But yeah, the pig was um, pretty <laughs> mad. Also, also, I think yeah. it's, it's to like normalise it a bit because this guy has just become a half prawn. Like he's not going to be able to operate the yeah. way it should go. It was, very what? it was very in keeping with what he's like to throw a pig. 
I was yeah, like, exactly. He's just like, fuck you. And then just throws a <laughs> <in the brain. laughs> Can we talk about the pronunciation of fuck? <laughs> fuck. 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 I'm like, what? It was so Scottish. <laughs> there were points when subtitles would come up for the aliens, and I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to be getting sub because that, that was one thing that ever slightly bothered me like the amount of subtitles for the Nigerian characters. Like, I can understand every word these people are saying. Mm. I need them for the aliens who are not speaking an English language. <laughs> I don't need them for people who are actually speaking in English. It felt almost slightly insulting. It's maybe going back to which <laughs> I saw a little bit. They're earlier. Nigerians, you know. Exactly. They're Nigerians. Apparently, they can't they can't speak English well enough for anyone to understand. Apparently the film is banned in Nigeria for how they're uh, really? Nigerians. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah. I'd like <laughs> to know the racist film. If there was any basis of the choice or it was literally just like pick other African nation out of the hat choice, like Surely there, there must have been a creative choice. Like Nigerians, might, they, do they cause problems in South Africa? Like I, I'm, it baffles me. Because Nigeria is a very big country, isn't it? I wonder whether it's an element to which it's like, you know, the Europe's fear of Russia kind of thing, where it's like sure. the big country, you know, that we don't quite know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. Like there's no exact reason why they were picked but maybe i don't know i'm, I'm theorizing i think i think traditionally there's supposed to be a lot of dodgy arms trade coming out of nigeria so i assume that was it but dodgy <laughs> dodgy pick for dodgy arms trade dodgy <laughs> any further points i would like to make a point I know we talked about it before already however the filmmaking style um I as, as someone who doesn't really um get into this kind of stuff I thought it was very seamless I enjoyed the the, the levity I thought it was a comedy it reminded me of what we do in the shadows the BBC version to start with and I was like oh you know okay this is quite fun I didn't notice it changed and I think it would have been really um uh it would have been really affected if it continued with that mockumentary style throughout all the action, like even just trying to find different, um, are they going to talk in the present or the future? Like I would have found that more jarring. I was just, I got very into that. Um, something that you, you, I mean, Nick just said that earlier, but I found the, the mockumentary, I didn't find the mockumentary stuff funny at all. I don't know if anyone else was on my side. I didn't, I didn't really at any point find this film funny. I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be a great movie. Movie. I thought it was funny at the start. Yeah, I, I, I just personally didn't. I, I don't know. Maybe I was going that. in with such like a kind of like, you know. Yeah, I did. I mean, I get that. That I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm not saying it wasn't funny. I wasn't supposed to be funny. I'm saying I didn't find it funny. I think because I went in with a certain expectation of what this film was supposed to be talking about. I didn't find those comments of like, you know, they like cat food. I didn't find like the aliens liking cat food funny because I thought it was a kind of like weird put down from the human beings to the to the aliens i did i just know yeah there was no point in this film and i'm not trying to say that anyone else is wrong for finding it funny i'm just saying personally i found it weird that other people found it funny and i just didn't laugh even close to once i think part of it's going in without knowing that it's meant to be this allegory for apartheid like going in thinking oh it's like a film about aliens and it starts with the mockumentary like i said it felt like men in black for the first 10 minutes to me then when they brought the cat food in i was like is this meant to be a gag like i can't quite figure out why they brought cat food into it knowing afterwards like oh it's this 
thing. Yes, it takes on this dehumanizing thing, but I feel like when it was out in the cinemas, I don't know how many people are going in to watch an alien film that markets itself as this like alien-y, action-y film, are going in expecting that. And as a result, to start off like that, it does seem like it's kind of luring you in with this, you've seen Men in Black, you know what a funny alien looks like, look at this ridiculous alien eating cat food, ha ha ha, but also racism. It felt a bit weird not knowing that before. Go on, Brad. I'd seen this before for when it first came out in cinemas, and so I just wanted to ask a question, spinning off what Laura said, in that that early stuff, which I did find funny, and I feel like they're also trying to make it chuckly, but I wanted to ask people that had never seen it before, there also is like a real sense of dread, like something is going to happen to Vickers. You'll hear accounts like, is he dead? What's about to happen? So, uh, yeah. Like that was to me like, I'm laughing, but there's some there's dread coming here as well, and that and I why think, it felt like it was lulling me into like this knockabout comedy. Yeah. And also, yeah. I think the moment where they introduced that element of dread was so perfect because it was, it wasn't even necessarily when he was picked for the operation. It was when he started to like on camera affiliate with all the kind of like army people, yeah, and everything. All of a sudden, he's talking about ammunition and the guns, and he's being around people who are maybe a bit more threatening. Whereas it was a bit more kind of jovial and potentially you know light-hearted before that moment then all of when a sudden the it's like very clear like oh he's in an operation that he doesn't understand the severity of what it could be or anything like that but then even when right from the beginning it's interspersed with those moments of, of the doc the end point of the documentary where you've got these people looking back on it that's there from the beginning so you have this mockumentary bits of him messing about with his microphone but then it's interspersed with 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 interviews of people what a year or two in the future mm. talking about how this guy like you know either something terrible is going to happen to him or he is the something terrible yeah. and you don't know which is which at the beginning but yeah like you said, Harry, there's this dread yeah. which i think which i think helps with the mockumentary style it it's it adds to it being satirical and not just taking the piss out of the situation mm. it makes it a political commentary rather than just haha cat food funny mm. it makes you think about why it's funny or why these people are finding it funny yeah it felt tense to me because again having seen it before but i would not seen it in a long time so each i couldn't remember the specifics so each time he's doing anything in the camp i was like fuck is this the point where he gets something happened like i it was like a weird kind of like this is funny but also i know something dreadful is about to happen or he's about to do something dreadful so I quite liked that that tone um like it was trying to juggle I, two I, things I think a lot of the comedy comes from the charm of his performance as well like as we were saying I think if, if they'd have picked a more a more chiseled action hero you know it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have paid off but he was just this mm. almost clownishly um kind of um uh, naive kind of uh, nicey nicey office type against this you know men you know seemingly quite menacing creature and then also these pretty scary looking henchmen who are who've got massive guns on them and the contrast of this little you know with it doing his hello like you know little clownish voices i thought that contrast was um was funny taylor did a really good job of not ruining the plot for me oh interesting like if you you go watch that now from whoever posted it, it must have been Ben in the the, the film 
club chat. I watched it and then um, really didn't know which way this movie would go, and that was really, really nice. That's cool. Like that. Just, I just posted a, a poster, Alex. So <laughs> it was probably a very static trailer. <laughs> oh. there, was, there was no voiceover. There was no moving images. It was just... <laughs> it was a very avant-garde. <laughs> I've got new technology. It just, you know, it just takes the image and turns it into a trailer. Oh, like say, a, like a deep dream simulator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether we talked about this or not, but the ridiculous gruesomeness of him transforming. <laughs> have we chatted about that? Not really. No, we haven't actually. No. No, it was hard. I loved it because it was. Grim, grim. <laughs> when he was throwing up black liquids, when he was ripping his fingernails off, Ooh. I had to horrible. keep putting it on mute. I couldn't stand the sound of it half the time. I will like, say, it reminded me of Black Swan. Has anyone seen? Yes, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was some of the more fluid I've seen in a film ever. Like they were they so were very good. good. There was a bit when he was just in the hospital and he looked at himself in the mirror and then randomly just peeled off a bit of his tummy flesh. Yeah. Seemingly no reason. <laughs> the one moment that I clocked. Cool. Sorry, go. No, sorry, sorry. I, he did pull his, like, Lara touched, sorry, I, I said that we hadn't touched on Lara, you did touch on the kind of like all the stuff coming off of him earlier. Um, he pulled his teeth out after eating the cat food and then he was on the call to his wife and none of his teeth were missing. Yeah, they were bad. <laughs> and even the there wasn't even blood in his mouth. I was like, there's a, there's a real bad continuity error going on here. When he was pulling his fingernails off, and they made a massive thing about him pulling his fingernails off. When they then forced his hand on the gun, his fingernails were all there. I was like, don't, no, don't he make had a couple of plasters. Yeah, plasters. We'll save for the teeth. <laughs> pulled out molars, so you couldn't have seen if he had. Well, where where the blood gone? He had blood in his mouth. <laughs> Oh. No blood. It's not blood, it's fuel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I mean, it's been, blood has become like, fuel. <laughs> they just work differently to humans. <laughs> I don't know. Even even like aside from like the fingernails and stuff like that, the sound when he first like threw up the liquid oh made me feel so nauseous. It was like Stop. it was it like is, it was like a noise that we've all recognized that has happened. In life, when you know you're gonna throw up and you can hear it, and you're like, oh, <laughs> it was so yeah. grim. That was yeah, really well done. Adds an extra alien twist to the sound. Like we've all, you know, we all have heard that sound, but not quite, not quite as horrible as that. <laughs> you know, know something horrible is about to happen if you heard that. Mm. Like it felt like he was about to give birth to something. That's why. No, <laughs> come on, man. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the transformation for me worked because I, I love the, the moments where he was trying to ignore it. Like, you know, he was yeah. clearly so <laughs> unwell. He was throwing yeah. up the black liquid, his fingernails were falling off, and he was just so, like, we've all done it. There's something wrong with you, and you're just like, I'm just going to pretend that there's nothing happening, and then, it's, you know, in a couple of days, I'll be absolutely the fine, and I'll be any wiser. Barbara, Gus. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know, it, and that was what it felt like. You know, when he had, when he went home, and he had that horrible surprise party, and then everything's going wrong, and it's like he's just so desperate for it to be normal. But you know, and touches on the dread thing that Harry brought up. But you know, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna go end up going so much worse than it is right now. 
We've all been there when you're trying not to throw up on your own birthday cake. <laughs> no? Why do you try and wipe it off? Why do you try to wipe it off? Why do you just leave so it? so sweet. I'm so Why indifferent you... with personality, just trying to like mop it up with a napkin. <laughs> I just loved how the fact that none of his family or friends asked him how he was. Like, yeah. he looks so, he looks so White as a sheet, like just oh, greasy. No, you'd have been like, mate, you're all right. Like, happy birthday, but you know, do you want a glass of water? Also, his arm was in a bandage. He True. walked in with a sling on. Yeah. Before, before you know, it's the clammy skin. Before he throws up, he's he's clearly injured. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I love that. It, it felt very Kafka esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the alienated family like politely just kind of shaking their heads was there I, I thought it was a bit strange because his family referred to him in the past tense the whole way even from the very beginning with the mockumentary I got quite confused and I think maybe if we're talking about the dread and stuff because his family never once referred to him other than in the past tense and they weren't actually by the end of the film you're like Right, so he's probably not dead. They don't know that he's dead, but they've been referring to him as a dead person for this whole thing, which has been like pranging me out for most of the movie, waiting for him to die. That was a very niche observation. I'm not as keen a watcher as you. <laughs> really. I'm a stick I need to watch it back to confirm that, because yeah, his wife definitely believed, seemed to definitely believe, but would maybe admit that he was alive at the end. But I cannot remember whether she was talking about him in the past tense at the beginning. But I think uh, she yeah. said he used to make me these. I think she was talking about his actions in the past tense rather than him in the past no, tense. No, his, his mum was like, oh, oh yeah, was his mum was like, and then got all upset, like yeah. in a way as if he he were dead. So yeah, I but I think the only, I buy Jen. I think the only one who still believes he's alive is his wife because she's getting yeah. like kind of the metal flowers from him. I don't think his mum actually believes. I think his mum believes that he's dead or an alien or somewhere else like i don't think she's confident that he's still alive like his wife is maybe right can we speculate on what we do think happened to him because like you know i i understand this was sort of the whole point of his frustration at the three years thing but in 72 hours half of him had become an entire prawn so in three years was, was, was Christopher genuinely expecting him to still be waiting to turn back into a human? Like, he probably would have had little prawn babies by that point. <laughs> like, well, what, do you, what does everyone else think would have happened to him? See, I think he's clearly waiting because he's making the stuff for his wife as a full-ass prawn. So he's like, <laughs> I'll make flower trash for well, three years. Prawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the he's... more interesting, sorry, the, the more interesting question for me, Harry, was that in what form will uh, Christopher Johnson and CJ return? You know, will they return w with with a cure or will they return with an armada? That's a very good point, but I was literally just about to say something not quite as eloquent as that, but something, <laughs> you know, my idea was this idea of like, why would they come back at all? If this is how I understand that, you know, maybe they want to save as many of the, them as they can. But if they come to Earth and they've been treated this way for, for 20, uh, 27 years, I think it is, or something like that. Why would they really come back for this bloke who was pretty selfish for a lot of the journey that they went on? So, like, you know, I understand that Christopher Johnson made a promise, but 
it would be I wouldn't I personally think it was left open to the idea of the fact that they never come back and he's just destined to live like that forever mm-hmm. yeah but I think Christopher Johnson was very much portrayed as this very righteous person who went into the lab and saw all of his his people being experimented on and I think that drove him very emotionally towards saving his community mm. so I think it wasn't only coming back for this and keeping this promise it was also saving his race or whatever that drove him to come back so but i suppose that raises the other question not just why would he come back but how because all of these people who were left on this mothership were exiled from their planet right so they were you know they were the, the lowest of the low in their society uh, including i presume this christopher johnson what were they I thought they, were they? Yeah. they were there. I thought they were just like randomly stranded there for like twenty years. I thought that was the big mystery. Oh, I I, I took. Have it I missed something? Honestly, have I missed like a really? Big no, 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 maybe I maybe I just assumed they'd been kicked out. I think I assumed they'd been kicked out of their planet. Um, to and got. Dead. I, don't know, I don't know about exile, but I know that I I think at the start it was established that they were you know very much worker bees and they didn't have anyone to lead them. Um, and that, that was, I had the same question actually, is how did Christopher become someone who appears more knowledgeable and able to sort all the stuff out? Was he like hiding? Was he pretending to be someone else? Or did he just kind of learn more quickly? Like, I, I wasn't quite sure about the hierarchy with him. It's just bad writing, Alex. Okay. Yeah, don't think about it too deep. <laughs> Yeah, was he the engineer? Like, and the bit of the ship that fell off that they were looking for, is that what he developed into the ship that they then escaped on? Or, mm. or, or was that the kind of Queen Bee figure leaving? Was that the Queen Bee going, fuck you lot, I'm tidy, I'm going somewhere else, maybe? Oh. Or was that the Queen Bee? Or was Christopher the King Prawn? <laughs> Shut up. How do I kick Pav out this meeting? <laughs> kick him out. <laughs> Oh, how, long we, how, how long have you been waiting to say that, Pav? Literally just when Alex said Queen... Oh no, when you said Queen Bee, whoever just said Queen oh. Bee. I've also watched the Bee movie recently. <laughs> <laughs> I think the two might have merged. How, how do people feel about prawns? Because I now feel really weird about calling anything a prawn, even if it is legitimately <laughs> a prawn. <laughs> I feel like it's a slur, but I can't say. I've never really liked prawns, so I haven't got to worry about it too much. It's my favourite thing in the world to eat. And I, <laughs> so I found it quite strange watching this film being like, how many of you have I eaten? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It's um, um, I'll quickly read out what Ollie said, and then we'll do the scores. I remember watching this when I was younger and taking away fucking prawns and that it reminded me of Transformers in Apartheid. On rewatch, really enjoyed it and a very decent sci-fi. Got invested in the story and very and performances decent. Special effects, very good considering a reasonably low budget from what I understand. Very enjoyable. Uh, Shah enjoyed less, not much of a sci-fi fan. So. Um, it was first last time. So we'll start from the bottom. So Nicholas, um, <laughs> seven. I'm not. They, they, don't read into the that. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seven. Neve. <laughs> also seven. Seven. Max. Uh, 
Eight. Lids. Seven for me. Lara. Uh, five. Five. Pavla. Eight. Brad's. Seven. Seven for me as well. Jen. Seven for me. Seven. Uh, ben. It's a seven. Seven. Anna. Eight. And Alex. Six. District 9 can currently be streamed in the UK on Amazon Prime. Thank you to Anchor for helping us make this podcast and to Alex Conway for composing our theme music. Thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon with another episode. Goodbye.